0: Morning, glory, America, Bonjour, Hi, Canada, greetings to all the 400 affiliates listening to the Hugh Hewitt Show, wherever you may be around the globe, or if you're listening on the universe, or at the podcast, or over at Hugh4Hillsdale.com, you know we are in the Hillsdale Dialogue. Once a week we go high, and on Thanksgiving we spend three hours, or on New Year's Day we spend three hours with Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College, and one of his colleagues. Today, we're talking with two of his colleagues. Kyle Mernon is director of online learning at Hillsdale College. He's responsible for those wonderful video courses, including a brand new one on Land of Hope, an invitation to the great American story. Land of Hope is the new American history textbook by our other guest, Dr. Wilfred McClay. Dr. McClay is the distinguished teaching fellow at Hillsdale College, as well as the GT and Libby Blankenship professor in the history of liberty. At the University of Oklahoma, this brand new book, Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story, is a long overdue, much needed antidote to Howard Zinn. And the 25 lectures that uh, Kyle has produced, along with uh, Dr. McClay, are absolutely essential for people who want to know where we are, how we got here. And where we left off at the end of the second part of our three-part series on Land of Hope, Dr. McClay was with the death of Lincoln and the second inauguration then comes reconstruction, a little known poorly understood period of time. Just tell us what we ought to know about reconstruction dr. mcclay
1: oh well um, it was uh, it was really uh, i think at best you can say it was a partial job um, that it was something where um, uh, the the uh, uh, it, 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 it's and there are there are so many different opinions about what could have made it better, including uh, uh, what probably would have been the best thing is if Lincoln had not been assassinated, and, and, and Lincoln's uh, uh, judicious hand would have guided uh, the process of the of uh, not just reintegrating the South in the, the dissident South into the nation, but of reforming Southern institutions in a way that would not have. Uh, been either so punitive uh, as Reconstruction ended up being when Congress took over, or uh, just casting the freedmen into the void uh, without with nothing but freedom, as the, as uh, Frederick Douglass said. Uh, um, so uh, it, it was a social a social revolution needed to occur. We didn't really know how to how to go about it. Uh, and uh, the and the the war had become such a fierce uh matter with the, all that bloodshed that you mentioned um that uh and, and the desire for vengeance uh that uh, overrode the sentiments of Lincoln's wonderful second inaugural uh, that uh i it, it it was in retrospect it was hard to see how it could have been uh anything but uh, a mess and yet good things came out of it uh, uh, problematic good things. Uh, one, of the, one of the things my conservative friends have criticized me for is uh, having nice things to say about the 14th Amendment, which we have a lot of reasons to, as you teach in your course, no doubt, a lot of reasons to be uh, um, concerned about it, about the misuse of it. 14th and, uh, well, left, the, of with, the 14th
0: Amendment left. The river of the 14th Amendment has gone flooded over its banks many times. Right, uh, and right. But the original 14th Amendment... Uh, And as understood in some respects, applying post the extension of the franchise to women uh, has been appropriately and inappropriately used by the courts. But during Reconstruction, the law was enforced at the edge of a bayonet. What happened when the bayonets were withdrawn after 1876?
1: Well, you know, the the, election of 1876, of course, was one one of the most, if not the most, uh, corrupt and, uh, and soiled <laughs> presidential elections in our history, uh, which had uh, an indecisive outcome. And in the end, to cut through a whole lot of things, uh, a political deal came out of it, that the Republicans were allowed to have the presidency, but at the cost of calling off Reconstruction. So uh, the matter was really uh, dropped in media's race. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it, the, the revolution... That needed to occur in order to bring the uh, uh, the natural rights philosophy of of the Declaration into uh, being made into a reality in the South was was postponed. It was not uh, negated, but it was postponed.
0: Uh, Doctor, um, on the Confederacy retreated behind its wall uh, because of uh, the the deal of eighteen seventy six, infamous though it might be. They retreated and they erected. Uh, de jure and de facto segregation, and it would take us another uh, near century to get rid of at least de jure and often de facto segregation.
2: Well, you know, that's the story of American history, isn't it? The the uh, We start out with this standard, you know, and the standard is thought by the founders to be perfect. I think it's so, too. But, of course, human affairs are not perfect, and the standard demands that we do things that we are not Able or ready to do. And, you know, integration, as say, mm-hmm. a colorblind society is a struggle, and uh, it always has been. And the, the struggle, I should say, was corrupted by, uh, you know, not by, you know, the 14th Amendment is a beautiful document. The courts didn't treat it right in the early going, in part to eliminate its, or uh, reduce its effectiveness. Correct and And then that has led to all kinds of distort- i mean you know the very great Clarence Thomas has pointed this out of late we should uh we should go back and recover the clause that's actually is supposed to to cover uh Jim Crow
0: privileges and immunities but to have was, prevented jim crow
2: yeah to have prevented that's right. it yeah and that, and so so the point is, yeah, that's a t- and you know, Lincoln's assassination, and Andrew Johnson was not a good president and not uh, sympathetic to the cause. You know, there's a really great meeting in 1863, if I remember right, where Lincoln meets with a bunch of black leaders. Frederick Douglass is not among them, but he was in contact with the ones who were. And he says, you know, you're all free men. And he says, we've got to figure out what to do after this war is over. And everywhere you go... The man is upon you. And I don't know why you'd want to stay with us. And there's a country in Central America where we could set you up and you could have your own country. But you'd have to want to go. And they all sort of lower their heads, you know, and then they go away and they talk and they come back a bit later, two, day, two or three days later, and they say, you know, we, we want to stay here. Yeah. And so we're Americans, see. And Lincoln sends an order, if I remember right, it was Nathaniel Banks, it was the Governor General of Louisiana, the first state seceding state to fall. And uh, he says, you know, they need to propose some way to get back into the Union of working themselves out of their old relation into their new relations, right? So that's sort of order that we're going to have to work this out. And before he can do much about that, Abraham Lincoln is shot. And uh, you know, Grant, by the way, was a strong president to try to enforce the, uh, the the actual practice of political and civic equality in the South. But then, you know, that it took a long time, and uh, and it, it's you know, in my opinion, it's it's in the South where I come from uh, that's that's largely broken. Uh, you know, my parents were in favor of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And uh, all my aunts and uncles, you know, in Arkansas, we're all cousins. So we, I have many of those. And uh, they, I remember talk as a boy about all of that. I was what twelve, and I remember everybody talking about that. And uh, they were, you know, that yeah, that's right. You know, we we got to do that. So I, you know, I that that story, which still goes on, because of course it's you know, there's a. This identity group politics that dominates or is a powerful force in American politics plays into that and presents the same problems on a new ground.
0: And so when we come to the end of Reconstruction, I just want to skip ahead a little bit here, Dr. McClay. Is it not amazing that America could recover from that war as quickly as it did? Yeah,
1: see, that's, I, that's one of the things I think we need to draw back and and emphasize is it's how extraordinary it is, and, and that that the, the, we don't, we still have some maybe a little size suture marks remaining, but ba- basically the, the degree to which we healed after this ferocious conflict is just amazing, and uh, you know I think um, I think that fact ought to be honored, you know, even if the if uh, the the manner of knitting the nation together uh, was not perfect. Absolutely. Uh, that, and
0: that, we will do so after the break. Don't go anywhere, because it was, it's actually miraculous, the Republic of Suffering, which Drew Faust-Gilpin, the former president of Harvard, has referred to is yeah. what the United States was left with at the end of 1865, but it recovered, and boy did it recover and boy, did it grow, and it yes. became a world power. We'll talk about that after the break. Go nowhere, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues all things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. Part three of a three-part series of Hillsdale Dialogues with Dr. Larry Aaron president of Hillsdale College. Kyle Mernon is the director of online learning, and he is a, uh, the Technical genius behind maybe the best of the of the series. They're all great over at Hillsdale.edu. This one, twenty-five lectures long, presented by Wilfred McClay, a distinguished teaching fellow at Hillsdale College, and the GT and Libby Blankenship Professor of History of Liberty, of of the history of liberty at the University of Oklahoma. Twenty-five lectures long. Kyle, I I know you told this in hour number one. I want people who didn't hear that. You didn't set out to do 25 lectures, right?
1: No, we set out to, to do 15, but, but as you can see with this uh, radio program, we had a lot of great ground to cover. We oh. wanted to cover it all, so we
0: extended it. I don't even know how you got it done, but I, I'm glad. Uh, Dr. McClay, when they said to you, uh, 12 has become 25, that's kind of routine Hillsdale thing, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I, I guess so. I I I, I think uh, what Kyle's trying to say in his nice way is I'm, I'm kind of a bloviator, and that they couldn't stop me from Not just true. bloviating. <laughs> so they, they, had, they had, had to, you know, instead of editing it back, they just added uh, segments. I'm going to be very interested to see how they do this, because like I say, I'm the actor who showed up and read his lines, and then the magicians had transformed it. So it uh, will be very interesting to see. But, uh, Dr. Arn, I'm going to have it, you embarrassed. To... Uh,
0: I'm going to have Dr. Arn embarrass you, Dr. McClay. What makes a great teacher? Uh, well,
2: uh, let me just interject something about Kyle because we we're making fun of him. Kyle fell into my clutches many years
0: ago. <laughs> Poor man. And,
2: and uh, when he was an undergraduate student, and, you know, against his will, he's almost finished with his Ph.D., and against his will, he will finish it and then he will be a fully operational Death Star, and then a lot of people are going to know all about him because he's going to be a great teacher. Uh, and about uh, Wilfred, about Bill, it, um, you know, it, it, what makes a great teacher is love and comprehension. Uh, you have to have the mind to put things together, and you have to love to do that, and then following on that is a love of explaining it. And the very best teachers, in my opinion, are also the very best minds. And even complex things become simpler in their hands. They don't become simple, but they become simpler. And that's like what a painter does. He shows you the essence of a scene because he can see it, and then he shows it to you. And that's what teachers Mm. do, and that's what Bill does.
0: And so you got to do that uh, at length. And uh, I'm curious, Dr. McClay, when you come to the period of time after Reconstruction has ended up until the beginning of World War One, can you hold the audience's interest? Because it is it is simply uh, an era of expansion, discovery and growth. I just I can't even summarize how vibrant the country was then.
1: Yes, yeah, so well and 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 it was all frightening too because so much was changing so fast. The the structure of the economy, uh the immigration, you know, uh the, the, the we we looked certain amount of sentimentality at uh the, this is at the, the time of, of uh, the great immigration, but uh in fact it was uh, people like Henry James were frightened by it. They Henry James described coming back to New York where Four out of every five uh, inhabitants was foreign born, and saying, "In effect, I don't recognize this place anymore." So there's a lot going on, and it's hard to hold it all in your head. Uh, and, and, you know, and one of the things, by the way, that happens is that for much of the rest of American history, uh, the, the, you have the, the markers of time are presidential terms, are you know, the, the succession of presidencies. That really stops after 1865, I would say, even though, of course, Grant's presidency, as Dr. Arns pointed out, it is, has some very notable aspects. But who can recount the American presidencies from Rutherford Hayes to, to McKinley? Uh, very few people. <laughs> Politics was not as important as business, as expansion, as uh, the, the changing texture of social life and you know, we begin to have a, a real literature, national literature, that, um, that draws upon these realities.
0: And, uh, and a national communications infrastructure, when we come back, we'll talk yeah. about, though, the bump that it continues to erode, the progressive era. Because when it gets going, and when the authoritarian in the White House, the real one, Woodrow Wilson, takes up the cudgels of World War One, it gets out of hand. We'll talk about that, the Great War and its aftermath, and then get to the New Deal. All of that coming up. Don't go anywhere, America. The Hilltale Dialogue rolls along on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt. Half hour left in our three-hour conversation about the brand-new book by... Dr. Wilford McClay, Land of Hope. Um, actually, Dr. Arnn, I'm going to turn to you. What is it that brought us the tragedy of the Progressive Era? Where, where did it come from? I know there's an entire online course at Hillsdale EDU that Kyle Merlin has put together about the Progressive Era, but what do you attribute its rise to? Uh,
2: well, it's uh, utopian hope and the ground that was laid for that hope in the success of America. It's different in Britain. Britain. Britain finally adopted socialism. You know, they had an aristocratic background. They had a working class, not more than a middle class. And then they had those disastrous wars that beat them up. And that's how socialism advanced in, in Britain. Here, it was, you know, we can fix everything and we can keep on like we are at the same time. And uh, they were, you know, Woodrow Wilson, and then later, especially the great master of all this, Franklin Roosevelt. They articulated their their hopes and their claims in the in the language of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Wilson was an enemy of the Constitution in his academic works, not in his speeches. and uh, And so, they adapted themselves to America and my, this is my opinion, by the way, and I'm just saying a huge bunch of stuff about a big story, and, and Bill may have a different idea about it, uh, but my idea, my thought is that, you know, we think we can do anything, and we almost can, but if you go over the next step to we can do anything, then all of a sudden we think we're God.
0: And, and Dr. Mm-hmm. Uh, McClay, John Dewey and... Uh... The founders of the Johns Hopkins, the whole gang that lead to Wilson, they really did believe they had history on their side.
1: Yeah, they believed history could be a science. Uh, they believed that um, expert knowledge uh, could substitute for the messiness of democratic institutions by, uh, you know, creating what we now call the administrative state. Um, it's a direct result of that way of thinking about governance. And by the way, since we <clears throat> talked about self-rule, it's a negation of the concept of self-rule. Um, uh, you know, the answer to the question, who are you going to believe, me or your lion eyes, is me, the expert, <laughs> not your lion eyes as a citizen who has a right to make his own judgments about what's going on and what what is best for you and for your society. So it's it's, um, it's fundamentally anti-democratic, even though it speaks in democratic accents.
0: Now, when it's we're talking
1: of the principles of self-rule,
0: when we're talking for the first time, we're in the middle of the first month of the coronavirus. I hope it's the last month. I hope it's not the influenza of 1918 come again. But we don't know when this replays in Thanksgiving's future, we'll know what happened with the Wuhan coronavirus and whether it was contained and and cured and and not but a road bump or if it was a 1918 disaster. But we don't know now. We do know that Wilson didn't do anything about it. The great authoritarian in the White House, the great progressive, wouldn't even mention it because he'd gone to war and he had to beat the Kaiser and he didn't want the home front to be in any way um, unsettled. That... That grabbing of power by the executive was never relinquished, Dr. McClay. The executive continued yes, to grow the it's federal not a government.
1: coincidence it 's not a coincidence that that uh, Woodrow Wilson was the first person to uh, conceive of and execute a, a strategy to propagandize the american people uh, to propagandize them it may Maybe you could argue for a good cause that is to support a war that uh, in which the American presence was necessary to sort of resolve it in a good way, the First World War, but that, um, that didn't involve uh, <clears throat> national interest in a way that was compelling to great num- many Americans. Uh, but it, then it carried over into a kind of demonization of the Germans and all sorts of uh, falsehoods, including uh, the deportation of people who opposed the war and, uh, or imprisonment. And uh, it's not a coincidence that um, you know the 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 man who is sort of one of the great liberal icons, uh, Woodrow Wilson, a great progressive icon, is the the one from whom this first originated.
0: And the authoritarian um, in the White House and and Larry Arn, Whenever people attack Trump or any center right conservative as having authoritarian inclination, I just laugh. They have no idea the way that Wilson acted.
2: Yeah, and you know uh, I made I made mention of. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt Franklin Roosevelt was a much more skillful man at rule than Wilson was. Wilson was a bludgeon. And, you know, Wilson goes over to the, yeah. you should read Winston Churchill on Woodrow Wilson at the Conference of Versailles that, that uh, signed the treaty that ended the First World War. And he just was wrong about everything. And he imposed his will, and uh, he kept uh, saying he was going to appeal over the heads of the old world leaders. And all of those leaders had just been through elections at the end of the war. And he had not. And then he got back, and he couldn't get his peace through. He was, in the end, he was transformative in the way the executive was thought about and in the power that he seized. seized, But he was a failure in the way he used it.
0: Now, now, Now. let's talk about the man who comes next, because we're running low on time. Uh, There is a lot of time between 1918 and 19... Uh, 29 uh, Dr. McClay and the United States enjoys it but the reckoning comes due the bill comes due the war comes FDR how do you deal with FDR because he's a he's a sainted figure and he certainly is a significant figure and he's not without his great virtues and he's not without his great flaws how do you deal with it in land of hope
1: well I I try to I try to deal with both of those things I mean I, I think my attitude is to the degree possible same attitude that ronald reagan had towards roosevelt which was that uh it would be a mistake i think to simply try to negate his uh his effects because he was a great leader he was an inspirational leader um and i'm i'm somebody who gives a lot of weight remember land of hope i give a lot of weight to inspiration to the spiritual uh qualities of of, of great statesmanship and uh But you know, as a policy person, and I I bring out, I have a quotation from Raymond Moley, who was his one of his closest early advisors. Roosevelt, he didn't have any ideas. He didn't read a book. He was not an intellectual. Uh, And it's certainly true. Uh, There's there's an incoherent quality to the New Deal. Uh, It's uh, and and maybe we should be thankful for that because if uh, you know Tugwell or some of the others who were much more uh, hard left. Had prevailed more than they did, we, we, we would have had much, much uh, harder time uh, making, you know, uh, bringing, bringing the new, uh, new Deal under control to the extent that we have. But, Luckily, uh, it's d- a very mixed bag, and I try to present it that way.
0: It did not; it was not scientific. It was not thoroughly <laughs> carried out. It has been thoroughly carried out in recent years. But then comes the war, and what you call the finest hour in lecture nineteen of the Hillsdale um, lecture series about your book. How do you sum that up for the audience? I mean, the finest hour is a British phrase, right? But we have one yeah, too.
1: Yes, it, uh, it, it is a Churchillian phrase uh, uh, from one of the the greatest speeches ever given at a moment of uh, you know supreme peril. Uh, it, it, um, so so yeah, I I wanted to um, you know I, I, for those who could hear the echo of it, I wanted I wanted to echo that. I I didn't want to. Uh, segment uh, off the American uh, triumph, the American role in this, this great triumph from, you know, the Anglo-American relationship. So that was actually deliberate on my
0: part. Oh, interesting. Larry, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's,
2: uh, of course, Winston Churchill was a very great man. And uh, I have they had a long argument with Conrad Black about whether Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill were, were uh, who was greater, and I am astonished that he holds the view that it was Roosevelt, but uh, uh, but he's he's a very serious man himself. No, it uh, you know Churchill, the the partnership that we had there, historians mostly write about the strains. It was the most effective thing ever, and it you know it won that war, and you know it's in it and then in, in our dealings with the Soviet Union, they became a great power and aggressive and a. Incredible menace that lasted a lot longer than Hitler. And shortly after Roosevelt, uh, Harry Truman turned our policy around on a dime, and we joined with them and other allies, and we resisted them. So, yeah, that's a – and the national effort involved in that, I mean, one of the great things about it
1: I, – so I like uh,
2: Wilfred's title – one of the great things about it is the way our army fought. Because we fought like free people, and that meant we were adaptable and we were quick. And, you know, in the early battles, we fought terribly, but pretty soon we were very formidable, and the Germans found us so. And that was a great national effort that was effective and cured the world of a menace.
0: So after the war, I'm, I'm, I'm advancing this very quickly. America wins. America demobilizes like it always does, uh, Dr. McClay. And what happens in America?
1: Well, you have uh, you know a lot of uh, economic problems that, uh, that bedevil the Truman administration. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, by the way, can I say a word about Truman? Because I think Truman is uh, an unjustly neglected figure in in, uh, uh, in conventional accounts. I, this is a, this, this is a man who was. Um, from He came from a very provincial background. You know, he really came up through uh, a political machine in his his native state. Uh, he uh, had only a high school education, and yet he was a reader of history, of uh, Tacitus and other great... You know, not he wasn't a reader of, you know, the equivalent of David McCullough in his day. He read Tacitus uh, and uh, really used history in the way he thought about things. And this man... Uh, who em- everyone underestimated um, helped to create the post-war uh, order that that now is under stress, but that lasted and kept the peace of the world for he, a long time. And he was a
0: common uh, man. I th- what a great he, great point on which to end that segment. We'll be right back. America, don't go anywhere. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues, part three of three parts on Land of Hope. Welcome back, America. Stewart Hewitt, final segment of uh, three. On the brand new video series, Land of Hope, put together by Dr. Wilfred McClay, who's the distinguished lecturer at Hillsdale College, and Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, and Kyle Mernon, the director of online learning there, who has been praised more probably in the last uh, three segments of the Hillsdale Dialogue than he's used to and, and ought not to get used to. Uh, but it's a great, great, <laughs> significant accomplishment. I want everyone to please go and watch these lectures. But I want to conclude with where we are, uh, because, Dr. McClay, you study American history. You've written Land of Hope. Dr. Arn, you study American history. You teach people. Uh, Kyle, you watch them do it. Where are we right now in this unfolding story? Where do you think we are, Dr. McClay?
1: well i the way i, I end the book and, and it 's partly because i'm really wary of getting too close to the present, so people who want to you know get a blow by blow account of the uh, uh, you know of, of, well, the trump administration obama administration the Clinton impeachment whatever are are going to be a little disappointed. I do touch on all these things, but very briefly what i what I tried to, in the last chapter to do is to, to Set the table in terms of thinking a, b- a bigger picture. That is, the post-Cold War America. You know, in the in the to to, to uh, fight and persevere and win the Cold War, we had to uh, really. F- we didn't entirely demobilize. We we never did uh, in the way we had before. We we took on the burden of world leadership in a way that we had uh, always sought not to do uh, in the in the past, um, and now in the in the wake of the Cold War. And I mean, the Cold War didn't end yesterday, but I mean, we're I think we're still trug- struggling with what our role in the world should be, whether we need uh, the, the kinds of security, national security institutions that we have, whether we need to have. Uh, the the extent of a standing army uh, that we have, uh, which is something that the founders would have abhorred, Um, and there's much that we have been constrained to do, uh, uh, some of it, I think, necessary, some of it not, some of it a result of the progressivism that you were talking about, that we we were at a moment now where I think we're, we're in a very clumsy, awkward way, which is the way democracies do things. We're rethinking all this. So that's what I try to leave the reader with, is the sense that there, there's a lot of questions about uh, how we go forward that are that are open to us. Do we go back to John Quincy Adams' famous admonition that America does not go abroad in search of monsters to destroy? Uh, and how far down that road can we go? Can we responsibly go? Uh, so that's, that's part of where I think we, we are. I, I want to make a point just to really bring us up to the very moment, or at least to the, the, the 31st of the last month, Brexit. There's a way in which the crisis of the European Union, and to some extent the election of Donald Trump too, but, is, uh, but to concentrate on Brexit, this is a revolt against the, the reign of expertise. Uh, and it is a vote in favor of self-rule. If we think of that polarity, that bump that you described a little while ago in the progressive era, if we think of that polarity as being one of the defining factors of uh, of uh, the world we're in now, I think that self-rule is reasserting itself. Um, to to what end uh, we don't know yet, and a lot of people are afraid of this. They think that nationalism. Um, is a term they prefer to use, is a bad thing. Well, um, I can sort of agree with that in some ways, but I also think patriotism, and this takes us back to the very beginning of our discussion, that patriotism is a necessary thing. It's necessary for the health of a society. It's necessary for the health of the individual person. We need that. We need that sense of loving connection to our land and to our fellow, fellow men, our fellow citizens. So that's where I try to leave it, uh, and and with a whole discussion in the very last chapter of what it, what American citizenship is about.
0: What a great object! So to, I, I I go back to yeah. our first segment where civics is about forming people, and that is an objective, Doctor. And I know you are have been about in your long tenure at Hillsdale College. On a very serious note, it's the highest it's the highest goal of a good college.
2: Yeah, it's uh, you know fr- free inquiry requires free government and our college has always been attached to that and where we are today, I agree with everything uh, Dr. McClay said, where we are today is we're in a great national debate, it's been going on for a long time but it's intense now maybe coming to a head about what we are and how we're to be governed and the alternatives are mutually exclusive and we're fighting our way through that and uh, one, one of the things I noticed for example is that the government is much more intense now, except it's pulling back in this current administration, on saying what is to be taught, and precisely what is to be taught in the classroom. And it's not lessons about our past in the spirit or in the m- meaning of Land of Hope by Bill McClay. It's a, a new understanding that uh, all in the past is soiled and we've got to repair all that. And so. That it, n- nothing better indicates the nature of the battle than that. And uh, so, you know, Bill, I should say, has done a, he's done an extraordinary service. And I guess his whole life got him ready to do this, and darned if he didn't deliver it.
0: And, and deliver it, and Kyle Mernon has helped deliver it in a different form. Land of Hope, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the 25-part lecture series available at Hillsdale.edu. Thank you, Dr. McClay. Thank you, Dr. Arndt. Thank you, Kyle Mernon. Thanks, all of you, for listening. Adam and Ben and Generalissimo, it's the Hugh